okay? Okay, so um, I, I am the warden or the bouncer or I'm not sure, the school safety officer or something. Um, I'm Victoria and I've, I've gotten around to meet most of you, but I look forward to getting to know those of you that I haven't met yet. And, and I especially want to say welcome to those of you who are new at this type of study. And uh, I'll just warn you, you'll, within a few minutes, you'll probably feel overwhelmed. It's normal. Right? Old timers, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they say yes. Um, okay. So um, what should I say first? Uh, well, I said welcome, right? Um, we were just talking, uh, John and I were just talking that this is the longest book that I've ever led a study of. And it's maybe almost the longest book after Psalms, I think, in the Bible. But we're going to do it bit by bit, so don't panic. And we're going to take several months to do it, so don't panic. There's no hurry. We're just going to work our way through it. So um, just a little orientation to the facility. Uh, there, I think there are a couple of other studies going on in some of the other rooms. So if you're if you're hoping to study Isaiah, you're in the correct room. There, there are, I think, a couple of other groups meeting in some of the other rooms in this building. Uh, restrooms are that end of the lobby. If you need those or will need those. Um, let's see. Oh, shoot. Um, I had an attendance sheet out there. I was going to pass it around in case there was a big crowd and you didn't sign up. But I'd like you to give me an email if you can, and I'm not going to sell it to Amway or something. But um, if we had to cancel class, I'm not, I'm not eager to make 60 phone calls. So, um, so we'd like to get a, you know, a one big email um, group and be, be able to do it that way. So that's the main reason that we want your emails. Um, if you don't have email at all, and nobody that could get an email and tell you there's no class today, um, I guess you can let me know that and maybe I could text or something like that. Um, put your phones on silent. Where's Barry? <laughs> Shirley's not here to tell you, Barry. Um, she's not here, but we'll tell. <laughs> she will, yes. Yes. Um, okay, so today I'm going to do a lot of the talking, but most weeks you're going to be doing a lot of the talking. Now, don't panic. I'm not going to call on you if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to, you know, say a peep in a group, but, um, you know, I'll ask questions that will, that will help you to express, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, that will help you to, to talk about what you've learned. This is, okay, okay, um, is the attend, can you bring the attend, okay, yeah, maybe, and we'll just pass it around, thank you, um, so I don't know what what I was saying because I'm brain dead, but um, but anyway, we we will um, we I will do a lot of talking today, but that's to just get you oriented and help you understand a little bit about the Book of Isaiah. And probably some of you have done a little reading or a little checking or 
you know, looked at a commentary or something. But um, I like to think of myself as a, like in the Old West when they had scouts that had gone somewhere and then they tell the other people, you know, you want to avoid this and, and go this way and watch out for this and this is going to be wonderful. So, so I like to be able to help you, um, just save you some frustration and, and build some anticipation as you study. So that's kind of my role. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, it's down right down there. Um, so I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna pass this around and if any of you didn't, you know, if you walked past and didn't realize there was a sign-up sheet or anything, or I guess if you just do it before you leave, that would be great. I'll, we don't have to pass it around, I'll just leave it here. Okay, and hopefully um, you have a couple of handouts. One has got a bunch of hieroglyphics on it, and it says um, key terms up here at the top. And the other one says, um, says Isaiah, the fifth gospel. So did, did you get those either as you were coming in or as Joanne caught you? Does anybody not have one? Okay, because we'll be looking at those. And then I have page protectors here, too, that one of your classmates bought for you. And, um, you know, if you need those, feel free to take a couple of those. So, okay, so let's pray. I think that would be very prudent. And then we're going to jump in, and uh, we'll look first at, at that handout, the not, the not the hieroglyphics, but the other one. Father, we are, we are excited to be here. We feel like we're on the tiptoe, on the threshold of a great adventure as we study uh, this book of Isaiah. And Lord, we, we expect that by your spirit, you're going to teach us about yourself. You're going to teach us about ourselves and you're going to draw us closer to you. And we pray that that you as the Holy One, the Lord of hosts, would speak to us personally by your Holy Spirit. Um, help us as we work through the, the techniques and details, Lord, not to miss what you're saying, not to miss uh, how you're speaking to us, not to miss the ways that you are showing us um, our similarities to some of the people that are, that are um, appear in this book. And so, Lord, uh, we, we dedicate this time to you as a sacrifice. Help us to put aside our to-do lists and the things that we got to do right after class and, and all that. And Lord, we just we present you these minutes as an offering because you are worthy and we are here to learn of you, to, to learn who you are, to learn how you work with us, and to also, uh, we sort of cringe to say, but we're here to learn about ourselves. And so we pray that you would faithfully teach us. Thank you for each one, Lord. Encourage them. May every minute that they spend in your word be fruitful. Lord, just, just uh, bless them so much that they are encouraged to continue on and learn those skills and reap the fruit. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus, the coming Messiah. Amen. Amen. So, so when you... Um, a couple of weeks or so, you tell somebody that you're taking this class, and um, if you say, oh, that's Fuller, she's a great teacher, then I've probably failed. 
because I, it's not about somebody being a great teacher. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. And I, I do work hard, and I put, put in a lot of time, and, and um, there are some other people that meet with me. We've been meeting all summer and working, ahead, well, not all summer, since July, I think. Um, there's about five or six of us, and there's a few of them scattered out here. Some of them aren't here today. They're out of town. But um, they work with me uh, together so that, so that we can uh, say, oh, now that's kind of tricky. What does that mean? And, you know, we pool our, our research and all that. So they're a big part of what happens. But if you leave saying, oh, that Fuller's a great teacher, that's, I, you know, somehow I've not accomplished what I'm here to accomplish. And even if you leave and say, oh, man, that Isaiah, that is an interesting book. You should see some of the ways he talks to those people. Um, even that, it's not exactly our purpose. Now, it is an interesting book, and as the handout says, it's full of sarcasm and holy mockery. So you may learn a few new phrases, you know, to throw at people. No. Um, but even that's not our purpose. Our purpose is that when you um, think about what's happening in this class, how God is working, uh, what he's doing, uh, and you tell somebody, or even if you just realize it yourself, I want that to be, wow, I'm seeing God way more than I knew before. I'm, I'm, I'm learning about who God is. I'm, I'm seeing his character. I, there are certain sides of God I've never really thought about, or um, or I've, I've kind of emphasized this aspect of his character, and I've not gotten into this part, but now I see a broader picture of who he is and how he works with us. If, that, if the Spirit is drawing me to follow him more closely, to worship him, to, to obey him, to serve him, then that's what we're here for. Okay, so, so I, that's what I pray for you is that God will do that in your heart, in your life. And, and, and you'll have things to share to other people. Come on in. Come on in. If you're looking for an Isaiah class, this is it. If it's not Isaiah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Scare them away. Um, so let's, let's start with the handout. Oh, any like burning questions so far? Haven't really said much. Yes, Lana. Oh, did you get one of those handouts? I read it, but I wasn't, because of my husband's situation and everything, I wasn't able to really do a, a book club. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which reminds me that somebody... Let somebody um, gave Israel, my beloved, to one of your classmates to read, but she doesn't remember who who made that available. So it's here if it was yours, and I don't remember whose it was either. Could have been Laurie or Shirley. Yeah, we'll ask. We'll ask again. Okay. So um, your handout is the one that, uh, what I'm referring to as the handout, is the one that says um, fifth gospel. 
Yes. I have a lot of papers here. There it is. Okay. So Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel because even though it's Old Testament, it talks a lot about Jesus. You know, Old Testament prophet talks a lot about the coming of Jesus. And also, the one of the values of studying the prophet Isaiah is that of all the Old Testament prophets, he is quoted more in the New Testament than all the other old prophets together. And if you count allusions, not illusions, but allusion with an A, which means kind of a kind of a reference to it, like if somebody said Abraham, that's not a quote of Genesis, a specific verse in Genesis, it's just an allusion to something that Abraham did. So it's kind of like assuming that the, the hearers know. It's, it's almost a hundred times in the New Testament. So, and Jesus quoted, you know, his first public sermon, what, what book was it from? Just guess. Isaiah, you're right. So, so he, and he quoted it other times when he was dealing with different people. So, so he uh, valued it, obviously. I mean, he respected and valued all the Old Testament. But anyway, um, it, it is a very uh, rich book. The breadth of its view of God is unmatched. And, and you're going to see God's tenderness, just how he loves his people. Uh, he uses the illustration of being like a gardener with this favorite little vine that he does everything for. Uh, you're going to see um, his, his repugnance, is that a word, uh, that he's, that he's um, uh, disgusted and, re and he re feels it's revolting as he views the sin in his people and he talks about they're like pus-filled sores, you know, all these different pictures of God. Um, he's the Lord of hosts. It talks about, you know, he commands the army of heaven. He created the worlds. He, he's the one that put the sky in place and put all this stuff, but yet he speaks individually to people, even in the Old Testament. So, so you're going to, you're going to, I think our, our view of God is going to grow. Uh, it's literary grandeur. In other words, the, the style of writing, the way he expresses things, Isaiah, I mean, is unequaled. Um, and as I said, there's exquisite sarcasm and uh, holy mockery. So you'll, you'll enjoy some of the phrases <laughs> that he uses to, to get his point across. Um, contrast is just full of contrast. There, um, there's, um, I listed a few. There's the concept of judgment and, and what's going to happen and a, a holy God and how to be consistent with who he is. He has to deal with sin. Uh, but on the other hand, his, oh, his yearning is that people would come to him, would respond to him, would listen to him, would submit to him, would obey him, would serve him. And, and he, because he just is eager to redeem them. So, so you have his glory and his power of the only, only true God. And then he talks about these idols that are impotent, that are, um, they're basically useless. They're pieces of wood or metal that if, 
another day you might have made something else out of them. But how foolish it is and how degrading it is for people that God desires to follow him. Instead, their hearts go after these other things. So you have who God is and then what these idols can't do for us. Um, also, there's, there's great arrogance. He talks about the arrogance of some people and how they think that they can just treat other people terribly. Uh, they think they know better than God. All these kinds of things. They're the center of their world. And then on the other hand, he talks about this great humility of his people. And the ultimate humility is in Christ, who talks about he came as a humble ser servant. And so you're going you're gonna to be seeing a lot of, wow, on this hand and on the other hand. So it's not like one tone all the way through. Um, some people, you may run into this when you, if you look in a commentary, and just a word about commentaries, um, uh, I'm not, we're not saying don't use commentaries, but do your own study first. Because I have listened to a lot of sermons and read a lot of commentaries, and some of them were wrong about some things. Um, and if I hadn't studied that section of Isaiah, I wouldn't know. Um, and, and besides, the Holy Spirit wants to be your primary teacher. Give him the first shot. You know, let him speak directly from God's word. So, so uh, uh, you know, using those reference books, that's fine. But do your own study first. Um, let's see. Oh, some, some commentators will, will talk about Deutero, uh, Isaiah. I hear somebody's nodding. You've run across that. Or even Tetro or whatever three is. Because some people think that... Um, that the same person couldn't possibly have written all this, uh, you know, or received all this from God because, um, because there are things that happen after his lifetime. Wow. Um, <laughs> come on in. <laughs> um, and, and um, you know, they'll say, well, first... First Isaiah did this, and Second Isaiah, and and usually their theory is that that uh, Second Isaiah was was some other prophet or uh, maybe even a, a disciple or a pupil of Isaiah's, and then after Isaiah was gone, these people carried on the work and added to it. But um, there, we'll look at it later. But there are some places in the New Testament where Jesus quoted from the first part of Isaiah. And the second part of Isaiah in the same conversation, and he said, Isaiah said, you know, so it's like he thought it was all one book. Um, and, and besides, if you, if you believe that God could speak about the future, that God knew what was going to happen in the future, that he was going to shape what was going to happen in the future, then the idea that he could reveal it to a prophet is is not too far-fetched. Now, one of their big arguments is that uh, the first half, which is almost every scholar agrees that, that there are two big chunks of Isaiah. The first one is the first 39 chapters, and if you look on the front of your book, it says Isaiah 1 through 39 somewhere, I think, and then 40 through 66 is the second section. And almost all um, 
almost all scholars agree that that's the dividing point. Well, then they say, well, that second half has a way different tone than the first half. Well, it's because there's, it's a little different focus. And, you know, I might use a different tone and different words if I'm scolding my little kitten than if I'm, you know, dealing with somebody on a used car or whatever, you know. So, so it's a different content, so it's appropriate that he would use a little different language, a little different uh, 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 tone and uh, uh, style. So that, that kind of makes sense when you look at, well, okay, what's the first half about and what's the second half about? It's not right, not half exactly. Over in the left, it says fun facts. Uh, sometimes people call Isaiah the little Bible because like the Bible has 66 books, Isaiah has 66 chapters. And the Old Testament has 39 books and the New Testament 27 books. Uh, Isaiah's dividing, you know, wh where almost everybody agrees kind of two big sections. Uh, the first half is 39 chapters and the second half is 27. So it's kind of fun. Now it's not like God said, um, you know, we're going to have 66 books in the Bible, so let's do this Isaiah thing. Let's make that fit into, you know, it's just a, an observation that people have made. So it's kind of a, if you, if you know how many books are in the New Testament and how many books are in the Old Testament, then you know how many books, how many chapters are in the first part and how many chapters are in the second part. So that's just a little fun fact. Okay, so um, besides, besides the view of God and, and the literary, uh, just the, the devices that he uses, there's poetry, there were similes, there are all those things that you've forgotten from English class. And contrast, um, its scope is unparalleled. In other words, um, I want to read Isaiah 46.10. And by the way, um, we'll mostly be using New American Standard. You're welcome to, to use, you know, to look in other mainstream, uh, mainstream versions of the Bible. There's, there's nothing, um, you know, it's not like we have to use New American Standard, but I think it's one of the best translations. Okay, Isaiah 46.10, <coughs> he's talking about um, how God versus these idols. And verse 10, he's, he talks about, um, well, let's, let's do 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. So he's saying these things that you call little g gods, these idols, they're not. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. So then verse 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So it says the end from the beginning, you know, that's kind of backwards, but we would say beginning to end. And, and so, um, get ready, you're going to have a blank to fill in. Uh, Isaiah covers creation. He talks about that God's the one who created. And I, I just put several places where that's the case. There's more. Talks about Satan's rebellion. That happened pretty early in the game, right, in, in terms of 
what we have recorded in the Bible, talks about human rebellion, the fall in the, in the Garden of Eden. And then he talks about the call of Abraham as the first Jew or the beginning of this, this uh, people that God, God wanted the, the Jews, the Hebrews, his people to be um, exhibit A of how life can be if people obey him, serve him, worship him, live in um, cooperation with him. And so all those guidelines, the Ten Commandments, and all the laws, and all those things that he gave them were to help them do that. And, and the rest of the world said, you'll be a light to the Gentiles. So his purpose in calling these people was that they would be like a little example here in the middle of the rest of the world of what it's like to follow God. And maybe some of those other people would be drawn to God. So uh, he, he talks about the call of Abraham as the first Jew. He talks about then the rebellion of the Jewish nation as a whole. Like that, that, that plan didn't quite work out too well. Um, their disciplinary exile, their exile <coughs> out of the promised land. God promised Abraham this land that they would have and that it would be his and his descendants forever. But, but because of their sin, well, he said, it's all going to be contingent on you, you know, our partnership, on, on you cooperating and obeying me, and it's part of the package. And so when they were disobedient, um, as a disciplinary measure to get their attention and to tell him how serious he was, uh, he, he had them exiled out of the promised land. And then he had some of them returned, and that's, that's pretty unique. When else in history, pretty unique, I don't know if that's <laughs> almost unique. Um, <coughs> where else in history has a nation been taken into exile, absorbed into another culture, and then come back and reestablish themselves? You know, that just, usually they just get swallowed up in that other nation. The tickle is starting already. Okay, he talks about their return, and then he talks about, the next blank, the Messiah, the Redeemer that would come, the Messiah to come. <coughs> and a lot of those um, scriptures that you see on your Christmas cards, like unto us um, uh, a child is born, and unto us a son is given, that's Isaiah. His name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's Isaiah. So um, he's going to talk quite a bit about this Messiah to come. He's going to talk about the sacrificial death of that Messiah, the suffering servant, and his resurrection. And more relevant, more personal to us, is that <coughs> believer's resurrection hinges on his resurrection. He's going to talk about that. And he's even looking forward to Messiah's return and the millennial kingdom, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. There's going to be quite a bit about that. And, and uh, just a note that sometimes I would say probably the biggest challenge in studying Isaiah, at least um, what I've found and what the, the leadership huddle has found, is, is trying to figure out, now, when is he referring to here? Is this going to happen 
you know, during the exile? Is this going to happen when they come back? Is this is this an end times thing? So, so you know, that'll that'll be a little bit of a trick sometimes to figure out. But but it's fun to think about. Okay, why why do we think it's this and why do we think it's that? So, <coughs> so sixty six chapters, longest book I've ever led a study through. And so, how are we going to do this? Well, it's kind of like how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. And so um, these lessons that we're, that we're doing are um, anywhere from one chapter to I think the most is four chapters. Now, so don't panic because a, a week. Some of the chapters are only like eight or nine verses long. I think chapter four, for example, is really short. So some of them are little short chapters. So, so don't panic. And uh, what... The approach that we use, your material is produced by a ministry called Precept Ministries, and um, and they they guide us in what's called inductive Bible study. So, um, inductive Bible study is where you look at the passage thoroughly, and then you try to figure out what it says and what it means and what you should do about it. Now. Uh, there's other ways of studying. If you're if you're having a, a friendly debate with your with your friend about is it okay for Christians to be cremated or uh, you know um, when should a person be baptized you know some of those questions then and you may have an opinion and you so you look through the Bible and you find all the passages that might be relevant to that question and you you know, list them and, and all that to make your case. That's called deductive studying, where where you already have a theory or a premise in mind, and then you look for support for it. Now, we can't help it. If we're alive, if we're breathing, and if our heart's beating, we, uh, we cannot rid ourselves of all our presuppositions. But we want to do it as much as possible. When we come, when we do inductive study, if you think to yourself, "Wow, some of these people really know the Bible," I'm, I'm not, I don't know it that well. You're probably at an advantage. You're probably better off because if you know a lot about the Bible, uh, a lot of that might not be true. <laughs> and, and you know, we're just taught all sorts of things and. And what I want to encourage you to be is more and more a self-eater. Where you can go to any passage in the Bible and using these skills that, it's like any other skill, you know, we're, it'll, they will develop. They'll seem wooden at first and kind of awkward, like what was I supposed to do next? Like when, remember when you learned to drive or learned to ride a bike or do just about anything that involves multiple skills, it, it's not probably going to be super um, easy, smooth at first, but, but it will grow, you will grow, you will develop those skills. And my prayer is that there's enough fruit, that the Spirit is faithful to, to bless you and to speak to you, even when you're fumbling through someone like, where's that paper they're talking about, you know, and stuff like that. So, so our we have uh, four steps, basically. Let's see. Oh, somebody brought me brand new. Brand new. 
I can get them open. Okay, so this is on your handout, but we have four steps, um, and the lesson will, it won't say, step one, do this. It will just, by the questions and by the instructions that the lesson, uh, what they ask you to do, what they direct you to do, the kinds of questions that they ask as this stuff in your book, it's going to guide you through these steps, okay? So there's four steps. First one starts with O. I. Okay. Now most people, most books, if you read a book about inductive Bible study, they'll only do the first three. So this, this is my... I added this one because I think it's important. Okay, so so some of you that have done these studies before, what what do I do first? If I'm going to study, let's say I'm going to study Isaiah chapter 1, what should I do first? Observe it. Okay, and then um, it says, okay, what tools, how, how do I do that? Get a Bible, and what should I do with the Bible? Okay, so I should read the passage, and and this is kind of a just a little uh, warning that the the more familiar the passage is, the more your brain is going to kind of go on autopilot, like blah blah blah. I know the story of the Good Samaritan, blah blah blah. So so um, we need some way to kind of slow ourselves down. And what might that be, some of you that have done this before? Okay, we're going to mark, we're going to look for certain words. And, and so one of the tools, well, you've already said read. And I would add reread. And then we're going to mark, and that's what that hieroglyphics page is all about. For example, um, Maybe in the first chapter, let's see, what does it want us to mark? The hieroglyphics page. Okay, Israel, the Lord, the word of the Lord, uh, Jerusalem. And so you may think, well, I can tell my story that I tell every time. When I first did one of these classes, and Shirley's not here today, she's actually back at, at, in Chattanooga at HQ. <laughs> precept out of function right now, um, when she asked me to, to join a class, and she was the leader, and they talked about these colored pencil things, and I thought, I am college educated. I don't think I need crayons to study the Bible. But it was a pretty small, they divided us up into smaller groups, and we were in this little room, and so everybody could look at our notes and see whether we had little yellows and blues and stuff on it. So I thought, fine, I'll play the game. And, and I, to my amazement, found that it was a very helpful strategy, very helpful. So I'm sold now. And in fact, if you don't have your little 12 color pencils, who doesn't have any? There you go. You, um, you might need them today. Yeah, yeah, and don't share them with your kids or whatever. Make sure you have your very own, because they always use the red up. Okay, so so you're going to observe that passage, and we have something called observation worksheets. 
and that's going to be in the back of your book, of your study guide. Um, it starts on page 103. I'll tell you, these guys, they're just on it. So page, page 103, and, and did you find it? It's like, it's, and you'll need, you need chapter 1 and 2 for the first lesson. But it's going to, uh, it, it has the passage printed out, and as I say, uh, we use NASB, so that's what's printed there. But if you want to use NIV or New King James or whatever, that's fine. But, but when, we, when we talk in class, we're mostly going to use that. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't say, you know, I have New King James, and in that verse it reads this way. And that's always interesting to compare. So, so it's called an observation worksheet. That's two words. You do observation on it. In other words, you're going to mark, you're going to mark words or phrases like thus says the Lord or <coughs> Lord of hosts, or you're going to mark the word Jerusalem and you're going to mark places. There's a certain way that you can mark places like uh, geographical places, rivers, countries, that kind of thing. Um, Time clues are sometimes very important. So th there's a way there when it says within 50 years or, uh, you know, the next morning or um, long ago or forever. When it has terms that tell you something about time, it might be a good idea to mark those. So those are some ideas. Now, this looks overwhelming because this first page is only through half the lesson. But the thing is that not all these words are going to appear in every chapter. And you don't, like in the first two chapters, they want us to mark the Lord and the Lord of hosts. But you don't have to mark that every chapter after that unless it tells you to. Because you'd probably be, you know, the page would be purple. So, so just it'll tell you in the text, mark these words or sometimes just in like three verses it'll say in these three verses find the commands or something like that so all this is whoa look down all that is is to slow us down and make us pay attention to every word because each word is there for a reason so so we're going to read it and reread it and then and then we're going to go through and mark terms now you can't go through very easily and mark six different things. So you might read through um, the chapter or the first half of the chapter, and you might mark two different things, maybe. You could pay attention to two things. And then each time you read through it, you're going to notice a little something like, oh, I wasn't looking at that. Now I see that. And then you can always, might, they're, they're pretty wide margins, so you can put little notes in the margin. If you, if I put a lot of question marks in the margin, like, I don't get this, you know. Or if there's a word that I don't, I was like, I have no idea where that place is. You know, I might just look it up on a map, which is provided. You have a map in your packet, and we'll look at that in a minute. So, so the observation is the most important of these steps. And I would say, when you think about your amount of time that you can set aside to study, I would say at least half and maybe three-fourths of your time 
extend it just going over and over those chapters and make sure you know what they what they say. Um, it'll ask you at the end of, of, after you've gone through chapter one, it'll say, now if you were going to give a title to this chapter, and that's one of the hardest things, because you've got to condense it down, what what's this chapter about? What's the point? What, what, like if you'd been asked to give a little devotional thought at, at brunch next week um, from Isaiah chapter one, what would be your little point? Your, what would be your title? What would be, what's it about? So you just go over and over that. So you're thoroughly familiar with that chapter or that for us is going to be chapters. If you're studying a short book like we study First John, well, we might have, we maybe sometimes did half a chapter or something like that, but okay, so observe. That's, that's the really big one. That's the important one. Um, what does it say? That's basically what you want to know. What does it say? Not what has I, not was I, was I have heard, not what I've heard it says, or not what somebody um, tells me. Well, it doesn't really mean that. It means this, but what, you know, what does it say? And then you can figure out the next step, which is to do what? To interpret it. And that's, what does it mean? Because Isaiah could be talking about, for example, in the first chapter, he talks about that, basically he says, when you guys bring your, your sacrifices, it makes me sick to my stomach. Well, we don't bring, you know, cows and, doves and stuff and sacrifices to God. So we have to we have to make a jump from between what was what was being said to the original audience and what's the principle? What's the point? What's the message? Um, what you know God saw fit to put that in the Bible for some reason, so it must be relevant to us in some way. And so we're looking for a timeless principle. In other words, the moral of the story. Timeless principle. In other words, um, let's say that I lived in Martin Luther's time, and it was the time of the Reformation. What was that, 1500s or something, 1600s? I don't know. I'm not a history buff. Um, and, I, and I just got the Bible in my own language, German. And I read that chapter. What would God, like, what's the point? Because I'm not Isaiah. And I'm not the people that Isaiah was called to speak to. And I, my culture's different. My, my clothing's different. How I worship God is different. So there's a lot of differences. And so this is how we jump from what it says to those original people. You know, your, your offerings make me sick. Um, to, okay, what's the point? What's, what's the principle? What's the, what's the moral of the story? So it should be true for somebody that lived in 15, 1500s Germany. It should be true for um, a newly converted uh, uh, tribal chieftain in, in South Africa somewhere, the mid-equatorial mid Africa. If he reads that, it should be true for a woman in the Civil War era, whether she was on the north or the south side it should be the same principle. And so people, a lot of times, will say, well, that's your interpretation. Well, really, 
it's not easy, but there's probably one main interpretation. It's not easy for us to get to it or for us to all agree on it. When I was in seminary, they would that would be an exercise they would have us do. We would read uh, from the Gospels either a, either a story or uh, usually it was a story, not a parable. And the professor would say, okay, what's the main point? What's the principle from this, this little story? And we would mumble things, and he'd go, yeah, yeah, more? Oh, yeah, okay, now can you put those two together? Yeah, we'd work on, you know, so, so kind of shaping and clarifying what is the point of this, of this passage. So it's a timeless principle. So maybe, no, I'm not going to tell you, because we're going to be doing chapter one pretty soon. Okay, so, so how, would you, how would you figure that out? How would you figure out what the principle is? What tools would you use? Any ideas? Oh, well, actually, you could use, yes, you could use the five W's and an H up here, too. In other words, who, what, when, where, why, and how. You ask yourself, why would he say that instead of that? Because there's going to be times in Isaiah, at least there have been for me, um, and I've, I've studied up to about chapter 6, 7. I've got to be a little ahead of you guys because you're too smart for me. Um, there's going to be times when you're reading along and you kind of think you know what the next part of the sentence is going to be, and it's way different. And you're like, what? I thought he was going to say this. So... So um, you ask why, you ask when. We're going to ask a lot of when questions. When is this going to be? Like we said, is he talking about an in-time event? Is he talking about something that's going to happen within a few years? Is he talking about, you know, the exile? When's he talking about? And so, so you, you use the five W's plus an H, and that is going to help you interpret because, like, if you say when, that's going to help you figure out some things. Okay, what el how else could you figure out? Um, he says um, uh, you're going to have a son. Um, there's going to be this child born. A virgin shall conceive and a child will be born, and his name will be called Emmanuel. So <coughs> you just read that. You go, okay, so, so well, that's kind of weird. A virgin's going to have a baby. And his name's going to be Emmanuel. So maybe you would want to look up, is, is there any place else in the Bible where a virgin has a baby? So cross-references. If it talks about the same thing, when it talks about um, um, Jesus coming and, y you know, there's, there's passages about that. When it talks about when Ahaz was king, we, in fact, the lesson will have us do this. Look, look in Kings or Chronicles about what, what we're told about Ahaz when, he, when it was his reign. So we get a little better picture. Because maybe in Isaiah, God's going to say, Ahaz, uh, Isaiah, you tell King Ahaz this and this and this. And maybe it's not really clear why, but if we, and the lesson will have us do this, Go back and read in Kings a little bit about what was going on with King Ahaz. And then you're like, oh, I get it. That's why God said that. So, so sometimes cross-references, that's a tool. Um, 
sometimes word studies more we probably do this more in the new testament than the old but occasionally we'll do uh, sometimes a hebrew word <coughs> you know was written mostly in hebrew and it's been translated into english and french and chinese and german and you know and all these other languages um, the bible was not originally written in in uh, king james english you know so so i don't want to insult anybody but people that say only the king james there's been a lot of advances in linguistics and understanding language since the, what was that, the 1500s or something. So, it had to be later. It had to be later than Lucifer, right? Anyway, um, so, so to interpret a passage, to figure out what the point is, we might look at other passages that talk about the same thing. That's cross-references. We might, uh, we might be curious about a word, and even if it doesn't tell you to do a word study, which it, there are hardly any in this in this uh, study I've noticed, but those of you that are, you know, you've kind of got the basics under your belt, you may find that you want to do some word studies, and and I will occasionally um, give you a little info on a word study, like I'll say, you know, this Hebrew word, and I'll, and you don't have to know Hebrew. There's lots of tools out there that will help you do that. Um, free ones online, you can do them on your phone, whatever. So uh, word studies, um, cross-references, and the big one is context. We'll talk about that on the next page, but context just means um, you've got you've to gotta look at the situation, uh, the historical, uh, if there's like a repeated word, every paragraph in that chapter has has the same word repeated, then that's a clue that that's a really big part of what the principle is. So, so context, where you can't just pull out some verse somewhere and embroider it on a pillow, like this is the day that the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Well, that's not talking about, hey, get up and be positive in the morning. It's talking about a, the day of the Lord. You know, so it's a nice thought, get up and be positive and hey, God's in control, but but that's not the point of that verse. It's taken out of context, and that's what con men do, and that's what false religions do. That's what people that want to control you do. They'll just say, well, the Bible says, and they'll some little short sentence, you know, or four words or something. So, But you have to look at it in the bigger picture. And we'll talk about that a little more when we get to the other side. Okay, so we want to know what actually does it say. Once in a while, you'll make a list, too. Um, I don't know if there's any in the first chapter, but sometimes maybe God's listing some of their sins. Maybe he's listing some of the blessings if they return to him. So sometimes in the margin, or even I'll just put a little number Number one, you know, in the text, just so I think, wow, he said six things about that. <coughs> so making a list, that's part of observation. Interpretation, you want to figure out what's the timeless principle. It doesn't matter whether you're uh, rich, poor, male, female, old, young, what nationality you are, what, you know, where you live, what century you live in. It's still God's point. So that's what we're talking about when we say interpretation. Now, 
like I say, ideally there's one interpretation, one main idea, and it might be very tough for us to figure out what it is, and even tougher for the majority of us to agree that that's what the point is, but we could get pretty close. Now then, then the next stage, okay, so we, we know what it says, we're pretty familiar with it, we think the point is, let's say we decide the point is, what God calls me to do, he provides the means to do it. Let's say we decide that's the point of some passage. Okay, so then what's the next thing? Yes, we're going to apply it. Because just, just studying the Bible and figuring out as a mental exercise what the point is, that's, that's not very life-changing. <laughs> that's not drawing me closer to God. That's not shaping me to become more like Christ. That's not... Um, that's not preparing me for heaven. All those things that God wants to do. So, so in applying, it's basically how is the Spirit calling me to respond to this, to this principle? Um, and that's going to be individual. That's going to be different for every one of us. Let's say we studied a passage and it was whatever God calls you to do, he provides the means to do it. Okay, so that's going to be different for every one of us. Because somebody, maybe they need to, you know, talk to their neighbor. Somebody maybe needs to apologize. Maybe somebody needs to volunteer to teach the second graders at church. So whatever it is, you know, get on a budget. What, I mean, it could be any relationship, finances, any area of life. But, but the Holy Spirit, probably as you study, you're going to say, them 
just a little step along in their walk. If they're a non-believer, what might, what might get them thinking about who God is or how God works? If they're a new believer, what might encourage them to hang in there when, you know, I thought Christians didn't have problems. Or if they're, a, if they're a seasoned believer, just to hang in there and keep growing, don't get stale, you know, keep, keep, um, keep growing as long as you're here on this earth. So the idea of passing on what God's teaching me, not say, you know, I read some verses here, you should, maybe you should listen to them. <laughs> I think. <laughs> no, it's not to beat them over the head, it's, it's out of a, out of the fullness of my heart because what God's teaching me, and it may be that he's correcting me, but still it's like, and when I obeyed him, what freedom, you know? So, so it, it should be good news. It should be good news. Um, you know, I just saw how I just trapped myself in that situation, just like these people did or whatever. So those are the steps of Bible study. So you've got to figure out what it says. Don't just think you know because it's a familiar passage. Don't take somebody else's word for it. Don't, don't say, well, Charles Stanley says this or whoever you listen to. Um, find out what it really says by reading it. It's fine to read several versions. In fact, sometimes when I lead a, a little bit different kind of study where we don't have um, a lesson and I just have people kind of do an inductive study of a Bible, a Bible book, um, I say read it in 10 different versions this week. You know, read the whole book. Read Philippians or read whatever. Anyway, become very familiar with it. Read it, mark it, slow down. What does it really say? What's the point? What does the point have to do with me? And then can I share, can I encourage somebody out of that? Okay, well, I got marks all over me. Um, okay, um, what if I skipped, what if I'm kind of in a hurry one week and I think, well, I'm not really going to do much on that observation because that's kind of time consuming. I think I'll just go to the interpretation and application. Why won't it work? Okay, so what am I interpreting, right? If I don't know what it says, what am I interpreting it? And it's tempting. It's tempting when you think, oh gosh, we've got four chapters this week. Oh, and here it is, you know, Wednesday afternoon and I haven't even touched my homework. Um, it's really tempting. I would say if you only have a half an hour one week, that's all you can carve out for your homework. I would say do your observation worksheet. Mark it. Don't worry about the questions because once you've done the observation, the questions come pretty, the answers to the questions come pretty readily. Because a lot of times it'll say um, things like, you know, what were the three reasons that God uh, told Isaiah to tell the king that, you know, he was in trouble? Well, you know, because you've read it six times. So, so really emphasize observation. You're way ahead to do that. Um, okay, uh, the scoop down at the bottom. Here's just some things to help you, especially if you're new, not get overwhelmed. Because I know people personally who have, who have um, been introduced to this method of study, and because they're organized people, this is, I'm thinking of one friend especially, 
she couldn't handle the fact that there were like four different papers that she had to have out at once. And it drives me crazy too. But, but here's, here's a little help for you. Uh, organizing your materials. So what I do, um, if you look in your, in your uh, book, it'll say on page um, five, that's where lesson one starts, right? And then on page 17, that's where lesson two starts, right? So I take that first uh, pages five through 22, and I staple that together. That's lesson one right there. That way, if I'm going to take it with me somewhere or... Um, even just at home, if I'm going to work on it, I have it all together, and at least those, that's kind of like one page, you know what I mean? That's one piece. It's not six pieces or whatever. And then I take the chapters that go with that lesson, which in this case are chapters one and two, and I go back to the back, and um, did we already look at those? Page um, 103 through 108 or something like that. That's chapters one and two. I staple those together. So one and two, because because we're not going to, oh, there might be one time that we, that we overlap a little bit in lessons. But basically, the first lesson is chapter one and two. The second lesson is three, four, and five. The third lesson, you know, six and seven or whatever. So, so I go through and staple the chapters that go with that lesson. So then, in my thinking, that's two things. I have the lesson, I have the observation worksheets, two things. And then you're going to have um, your, you're going to have your marking sheet. And some things you're going to move along each lesson. I, I recommend that you get a three-ring notebook, and um, they have gone way up. So go to the thrift stores. I think I saw... Yes. The Roseburg Mission Store has lots of them. Roseburg Mission Store. Okay. Um, Sutherland, um, St. Vinny's usually has some. Yeah, we have some. You want a pretty good sized one. Maybe not quite this big, but especially if you're going to put part two in the same notebook. Or if you'd rather carry a smaller notebook, get, you know. Anyway, get a notebook and then. And then I put a little divider, lesson one, two, three. If you don't have those divider things, and even those have gotten expensive, um, you can just put a little post-it thing, a little post-it tab or something to help you mark it. Okay, so, so each lesson, you've got the lesson itself, the questions. You've got your observation worksheet. So now it's just two things. But the third thing is your marking sheet. And I would put that in one of those page protectors because you're going to use that for months. It's going to move along to lesson two. When you start lesson two, you're going to take that marking sheet with you. The handout that we did today, the introduction, you can just leave that at the beginning of your book. You might refer to it back once in a while, but it's not something you're going to need every lesson, right? Because you remember all that stuff. Okay. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, you might want to look back at it. But you don't need to move it along. Um, let's see, maybe a map, maybe a chart, a couple of things like that. And you might put those back to back in one of those page protectors. Then you've got your
your marking sheet and your map and your chart. So that's four things. That's To me, that's a lot more manageable than a table full of papers fluttering around and when my kitten comes and jumps in the middle of it and all that stuff. I have new kittens. They're so cute. Um, anyway, that's, uh, that's one thing is that get your stuff organized. Get a little uh, tote bag or of one of those big Ziplocs or something where you have it collected. So when you have, when you can carve out some minutes to study, you don't have to look all over the house and check the car and all that. You know, so you want your Bible, you want your colored pencils, you want a, you want a couple of ink pens in case one runs out or pencil or whatever you use. Okay, so um, the second thing is start, start your lesson early. And really... Um, it's kind of like, do you eat one big, huge meal a week? You know, it's better if, 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 yeah, if you eat little bits at a time. If you can, I would say tonight, this afternoon, if you possibly can, do start in on, you know. And we're going to actually do uh, part of your lesson in class together, so so you get a head start. But but of the weeks that we have four chapters to study, it's going to take you a little longer because you're going to need to look at four chapters instead of two. So uh, by the time we get to that, though, you'll be getting the hang of things because that's not one of the first two or three lessons. Okay, so start as early as you can and work in several sessions. And a couple of reasons for that is that your brain might be fresher. The other thing is you don't feel rushed. And, and also, if I start working on a chapter and then I have to put it away, and then I go out and water the garden, I can be thinking about that and saying, Lord, what do you mean by that? Or that was interesting, or I didn't expect that, or oh, how did that apply to me? Or who could I share that with? You know, some of these apply and edify things. And so you could be thinking about it, meditating on it while you're driving or doing dishes or folding laundry or, you know, whatever else you do, running, walking, whatever. Uh, you can be you can be, in a sense, studying, but you don't have your papers in front of you. So start early, um, and then this is very important. Come even if your homework isn't done. I used to go to BSF, and if you didn't have your homework done, you had to turn your name tag over so they wouldn't call on you. <laughs> because they didn't want you spouting off if you hadn't, if you hadn't you know, study, you know, just your own opinion and stuff. So anyway, come even if you don't have your homework done. Um, you know, you you can glean from the discussion. Uh, it will encourage you. And, and if, you, if you get behind, do not try to catch up. I can tell you from doing this for like 20 years is that's when people drop out, is when they get behind. They they. They get frustrated and they're like, well, I'm not going to go on to lesson six until I get lesson five done. Well, then they're behind for lesson six and, you know, on that. So there's going to be some weeks that we don't have class because we're following the Roseburg School District um, calendar. So, like, there's a couple of conference weeks and we'll, we'll have a, more than a month off at Christmas and stuff like that. Next week I should have the syllabus for you that will tell you exactly which weeks we're here and which weeks we don't and what lesson to do which week and all that stuff. Um, and um, just know that maybe there's a 
second week in December when you have a moment, um, maybe that's when you need to study that passage. You know, So there'll be times, what I'm saying is that you can go back and rework those lessons a little bit. You'll have... No, you'll have some time. I'm not going to ask you to do six lessons while we're while we're breaking over Christmas for a month. So, so come even if your lesson isn't done, and just you know benefit from the discussion. Most weeks we'll have a video, um, and that's somebody from Precept. Um, I think it's David Arthur. The he's the CEO. And he, and he does kind of like a sermon or a teaching that sort of summarizes those two chapters. So that's another piece of, that you'll learn. And um, I will say that we have a person who doesn't even attend class, <laughs> she used to, but her schedule changed, who makes us some loaner copies. And so Donnie, wave your, Donnie's the DVD librarian. <laughs> so if you miss a week, <laughs> we have... We, have, we just have two copies, but we have two copies of each of those DVDs that you can check out. And, and, and Donnie will be the DVD librarian, so <laughs> she'll have those. Okay. Don't stay home just because your lessons are done. And don't say, I'll catch up first. All right. Uh, some of you that are veterans, what do you have any other tips for these new people that are feeling overwhelmed? Yes. Pray first. Pray first. What an idea. <laughs> and in the lesson, it will often say, begin with prayer. Because if you believe that God is going to speak to you by his spirit, through his word, then I guess you want to be prepared and telling him that you're ready to listen. So, yes, pray. And if you reach a point where you're like, this is just frustrating, I don't get what they're talking about, I don't even know what the question means, skip that question. That's no big deal. Lots of times I come to class and I think I've got something all figured out and then I hear what everybody has to say and I think, oh, well, I totally missed that. So, so you know, it's okay. Maybe next week you'll get have some brilliant insight and and they'll benefit from yours. And um, I would say that when you make, uh, when you write your answers, when I ask a question, just jot down what verse you found that answer Be for two reasons. One, it keeps us from making up stuff. Well, it kind of talks about beekeeping, sort of. <laughs> no, it didn't. You know. it, mentioned, it mentioned honey or something. So, so um, you know, it... it it keeps us honest. Like, I actually got this from this passage. It's not something I heard a cool sermon from last week or this cool new podcast I'm into. No, it's actually from that passage. And then in class, when you answer and people gasp with amazement at your great insight, they're going to say, where did you find that? And you're going to say, verse 17 and 18. <laughs> so it's a really good discipline just to, just to note what verses you're finding it in. Okay, any other uh, words of wisdom from those of you that have done a few of these? Don't give up. Don't give, Don't up. give up. It's overwhelming at first, but if you stick with it, it'll come. Don't give up. It'll probably be overwhelming at first, but if you stick with it, it will come. It's a set of skills. 
like anything else, you think of something in your life that was kind of hard, but you eventually stuck with it and you got it. You learned how to play hockey. You learned how to sew. You learned how to use your remote control, whatever. <laughs> whatever the challenge was, right? Yeah. You, you can now, you know, do the treadmill for 45 minutes, whatever it is. So, so, and, and honestly, some of you are kind of natural students and you're going to take to it a little better, but everybody can do this. Precept Ministries has studies for children and they go through and circle words. And even preschoolers, they have, you know, those little dotted, where you have a solid line, a dotted line, a solid line to help them print. They have that and they have little dots for them to write Jesus or love or faith, that kind of thing. So they, if you have kids that you, you know, if you get sold on this and you think, wow, I should be doing this with my grandkids or I should be doing this with a couple of neighbor kids or whatever, um, uh, talk to me because they have, or go on their website. They have lots of wonderful materials. And by the way, I will be sending an order like in a day or two because we have several people, like six or seven people that want in, but they signed up too late to, to be, it takes a, a week and a half or two weeks to get orders. So they they signed up too late, but um, but we'll get you a book. And, and if anybody's here that doesn't have a book, um, uh, talk to me afterwards because I can give you a link where you can print the first lesson. Precept offers that for every study. Well, I mean, these big studies where you can print the first lesson just to kind of get a feel for it. So you'll have some stuff to work with. Okay, so if anybody is here, doesn't have a book, you plan to get a book, but you just don't have it yet. Um, and some of you I haven't met yet, so I hope to meet you. Okay, um, any other tips? Uh, sometimes um, I process information a little bit slower, and so it's harder um, she'll give like um, an instruction to to mark this word and this word and this word, and and it's too much for me to do like right. two or three markings. Right. So I'll just have to do like a skim and just okay do one. Yes. Skim through it and do the second, yes. and so that's just. I do but that. I think probably most people don't have to do that. But no, sometimes. I, I do that. I do. Yes. And especially that means you read it one more time. Yeah. Right. And if you if you are studying somewhere where people won't totally think you're nuts. I mean, if they don't already think you're nuts. Uh, if you can read it out loud, that's even better because then you're going to hear it. Not only are you reading it like, you know, silently, but you're going to hear it and, and you're going to, something happens in your brain from your eyes to your brain to your mouth. So it's going through the brain and you say it, then it goes through your ears to your brain, you know. So the more times you can get it, you know, through your brain, the better. But read it out loud. You can, you know, there's lots of free um, uh, Bible audios, Bible apps that you can listen to it and stuff. So, okay, let's move along because we want to have time to do some of your lessons. Okay, so um, you have a big crown up there that says context is king or maybe queen. The queen's been in the news a lot lately. Um, so what that means is, above all else, when you're trying to figure out what a passage means, what, what the principle is, what the
why it's in the Bible, what's God saying to us. Um, context is the most important thing. And the word context, um, it, it's an it's English word, and it comes from the Latin con, which means with, like chili con carne. Con carne means chili with meat, right? With, con. Um, something is concurrent, it happens at the same time, you know, it's just a prefix that means with, and or together. And then texere, or however I'm, my pronunciation of Latin is not great, um, it means to weave. So what it's saying is the context is all this stuff that's woven together. So when we talk about, when we read about Isaiah, he was in a certain place in history, he was, he was, in, a certain time in history, he was in a certain culture, he was, um, you know, it was a certain uh, period in that culture. There's just a lot of details that if we don't, if we don't take that into consideration, uh, we might not get the full picture. And so context can be both literary, in other words, what did the previous chapter say and what did the next chapter say, but it also can be historical context, like what was going on at the time. And we'll look at that a little bit because it is important. Um, so the whole idea is that you, um, as it says down the second, the third thing, uh, never read a Bible verse. There's a book called Never Read a Bible Verse. And what the point is, is that if you just read one verse, your chances of misinterpreting that, of drawing some conclusions, of making it say what I want it to say are pretty great. But if I read a paragraph or I read a chapter, then, then I'm going to get a better sense of what, what God intended it to mean. So um, the second point is, why does context rule when interpreting a passage? Do the math. Context minus text equals a con. It's <laughs> a silly little way of saying that's what, that's what uh, religion you know, religious tyrants and cults <coughs> and false religions, that's what they do is, is take this little phrase and just isolate it and say, well, that, the Bible says it, so do it. You know, well, that's not really the point. Have you ever had somebody take something that you said out of context? You're like, no, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the middle of a big, long discussion. That was just one piece. No, that's saying the opposite. I was being sarcastic or whatever, you know. So so um, just expand, you know. If, if you're looking at a verse, read at least a paragraph or a chapter. If you're looking at a chapter, think about, oh, what have the previous couple of chapters said? What's the point of the, what's the point of this whole book? You know, like if you're studying the book of James, what's the point of this book? Or you're studying the book of Ruth. What's the point of this book? And that'll kind of help you figure out what a certain passage means. So um, the next one is how much context should I consider? And I mentioned that a little bit uh, about never read a verse. I want to read you a couple of phrases out of Isaiah, and you tell me whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I can hardly find Isaiah in my Bible because I use my observation worksheets all the time. Okay, so here's a phrase that appears in Isaiah. If 
um, it's talking, um, it's talking about, I think it's talking about Jerusalem, referring to Jerusalem as her. It says, and her gates will lament and mourn. Okay, so does that mean they're, go they're in repentance? Does that mean something bad's happened? You know, what, you got to read the whole chapter to find out. Because it could be a good thing, like, oh, they've, they've realized, you know, they've turned their back on God and they're coming back. Um, just one more. Uh, okay, so uh, it talks about God's anger and how he, he uh, his righteous anger and how he's going to um, bring disciplinary action on his people. And the last phrase of this verse says, but his hand is still stretched out. and he had instructed them to, and he'd given them 
the law. He'd given them the Ten Commandments. He'd given them the sacrificial system, uh, the feast days to teach them certain things, and they just weren't getting it. They were rebelling. They were doing their own thing. So he, he gave them judges, and uh, there were, I think, about 15 or 16 judges, and on the average, one about every 20 years. And what would happen would be, uh, it's like A, B, C, D. They would, um, they would be, um, what's the word? When they go away from God that starts with A? Apostate. Yes, apostate. And then, and then um, so they would get away from God. I mean, I'm sure you might know somebody who acts like this sometimes. Not any of us, but maybe, you know, you've heard of somebody or something. So, so we, you know, they got away from God. They kind of, their focus was elsewhere. They did their own thing. And then there would be this battering. There would be problems. There would be attacks from the enemy. There would be struggles. There would be, you know, bad things happening. And then C, they would call out to God. Like, God, why are you allowing this? He would, well, they're doing this and this, and we're your people, and, you know, come on. And, and then D would be a deliverer, and that was this judge. Now, we think of a judge as somebody in a courtroom, and that was part of the judge's um, responsibility, was if the law wasn't clear about something, um, the law that God had given, they would interpret and all that. But they also were spiritual leaders and military strategists. Because most of this battering came in the form of some uh, other country attacking them. So that was the cycle of judges. And so that went on for like, I want to say, about 300 years. My math is right. There are about 16, I think, and on the average about 20. So hundreds of years, they go through this cycle, and they do okay, and then that judge would die, and then they drift away again, and we're back to A, B, C, D. Okay. So, um, so then after the judges um, um, came the era of having kings. And so who was the first king? Saul. Saul. King Saul. So the people said, we want a king because all these other countries have kings. And we want to be like the other kings. to fight. We want somebody to fight our battles for us, which the judges were doing. But... God said to the prophet Samuel, Samuel, they're really rejecting me as their king. That's why they're crying out for a king. And so I'm going to give them a king. But you warn them about what it's going to be like having a king. And, he t and so Samuel told them about how the kings would, um, you know, would conscript their children like, hey, she sews pretty well. We'll have her come be a royal seamstress and, you know, take their sons and make them fight and all that stuff. So <coughs> having a king wasn't everything it was cracked up to be, but they had kings. Um, so they had Saul, and he he wasn't too great. He was he was um, <coughs> handsome. Well, I don't think it says he's handsome. It says he was tall, and, and the people liked him. And so, but God removed him because he wasn't obedient. So then who was the next king? The king of God's choice. David, little David the shepherd boy. And so, oh, Saul ruled for 40 years, and then uh, God made David king, not easily, because Saul was trying to kill him and all that. So then David became king, and how long did he rule? Just a guess. 40 years, yes. And then um, after David, 
his son became king, and that was Solomon. How long did he rule? Just guess. 40 years. 40. Okay, so we have 40 and 40 and 40, so 120 years, more or less, uh, of the kingdom. And then after Solomon died, there was this big fuss, and the kingdom ended up dividing. So you hear about the divided kingdom, the north and the south. And so uh, 10 tribes were affiliated with the north, and, and just two tribes in the south, I think. I think that's how it was. And so they have the divided kingdom, the north and the south. And the, and the north retained the name Israel because they were um, the majority. And the south, uh, they took the name Judah because the, their area was what we know as Judea. So, so they're, that's the south. And then um, in judgment for each one of them separately, God sends both of them separately into exile at the hands of these terrible pagan people that God's people are just shocked that God would use those icky people to discipline them. They're God's people, but they're in rebellion. Okay, so they go into exile. And then they return, especially the southern, uh, the southern kingdom. They they come back into the land, and it's not easy because the people who have been living there don't just hand them the keys and say, "Oh, here's here's you know the instructions for how we planted this and did this and been nice by," but it's like, no, we don't want you taking your land back. So they had to fight for it and all that. So so then they're back in the land. And, and then there's a time that's called uh, the 400 years of silence. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't speak. If, if a person whose heart was wholly devoted to God prays to God and asked for guidance or, you know, whatever, God spoke to that person. But as for speaking to the nation as a whole, there were no prophets for 400 years. So from the time of the kings... Through the exile and the return, there were a bunch of prophets. God sent prophets. Some were to the north and some were to the south. Uh, there may have been one or two that actually addressed both. But God sent prophets. But then there was a 400, can you imagine 400? That's several generations. You know, well, my great-grandma said there was no prophet in her time. And she said her parents didn't, you know. So they think, has God deserted us? Are we, you know, what's happened? Well, then Jesus bursts on the scene, and that's the New Testament. So you have the coming of Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah, uh, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the birth of the church. And then um, a time of, of just spreading the gospel around the world, and then there's future events. So you are here. You're in the missions that's where we are, we're in that era. The church has already started, and, and there's still future events ahead of us. So, so where do you think Isaiah fit? In the kingdom. In the kingdom. Um, look, in, look on page five of your study guide, that first page. And there's a chart at the top. Very helpful little chart. And by the way, each lesson... That chart is going to shift just a little bit because each lesson 
is going to uh, you know, be about a little different time. So see this chart up at the top? It says kings of Judah and prophets of Judah. So that's, that's our clue that Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom. That's going to be important to know. Okay. And, and so oh, that implies that the, that the kingdom has already been divided, right? So maybe it's, it's between kingdom. It's still kingdom because it's the divided kingdom. So you're right. It is the time of the kingdom. And so, and they haven't exiled yet, at least the southern haven't. And so, so um, that's when he came on the scene. All right. So he was a prophet to, during the era of the divided kingdom, and his focus was the southern kingdom. Okay. All right. Um, back on the handout, it says uh, Judah or the south. Now, Judah was, I never really got this until this week, but Judah was about 3,400 square miles. It varied a little bit because, you know, this enemy over here might gain possession of this section and then later they might gain it back and take a little more. So all the borders, they were always having to fight to maintain their borders. But the southern kingdom, Judah, um, on the average was about 3,400 square miles. That's like less than 60 by 60. If you drive to Eugene, and then you drive to the coast, and then you come down the coast and back here, that's like roughly, that's all it was. When we talk about them going from one end of the country to the other, that's all it was. Now, Douglas County, any guesses how many square miles Douglas County is? Way more, over 5,000. 5,134. So not too far from almost twice as big as the whole country or the whole southern kingdom. See, I didn't, I never got that until this week, so I thought, I gotta tell those guys, they might not know either. Plus, I never knew how many square miles Douglas County were. Okay, so it's a tiny country. Pretty, pretty small. Okay. Now, uh, point three, nearby there are world powers at that time. Uh, so you have a map on page 227. I wasn't sure what page it was, so I couldn't tell the page until I looked it up later. 227, you have a map.
was um, was a world power. And then below Assyria, you have Babylon, which had been called Chaldea. So you have Babylon. That's that's. Um, let's see. One was on the rise and one was on the decline. Didn't Assyria kind of take over Babylon? I think I think Babylon was on the decline. I'm not sure. Was it okay? Now don't get Assyria and Syria confused. Syria is over. Um, just right above Jerusalem, it says Ephraim, and then it says Lebanon. You see where it says Damascus? Mm -hmm. Damascus is in Syria. On this map, uh, Syria is in the pale gray, and sometimes in biblical times it was called Aram. But you see where it says Syria in the pale gray? Yeah. Following me? Okay. So, um, so Assyria and Babylon, these are big world powers, and they dominate and you know do all this stuff and then down uh, south of Judah you have Egypt past the Sinai Peninsula and then almost down the lower left of our map you have Egypt and I mean you're probably aware of this but the Middle East where where Judah was located is um, there's this narrow little place where where um, Africa and Asia and, and kind of even Europe come together. So there, so there were a lot of trade routes through here. And, and so everybody wanted control of this area. So that's why they were in kind of a precarious position. They're this tiny little country that God said, you know, you follow me, I'll take care of you. You know, you'll be the head and not the tail and all this stuff. But there's all these other countries that want to take over them and have possession of that that turf because it's an important um, you know economically commercially okay then there are also some smaller nearer threats and um, some of them are shown like Philistia on the coast just right next to Judah and Edom and Moab and then uh, and Aram uh, Syria Aram up to the north where Damascus Damascus I think is still the capital of Syria isn't it Unless they've changed the name. Okay, so that's kind of, you know, they're in a little precarious situation. And throughout, throughout the early part, especially of the book of Isaiah, you're going to have threats against Judah from these different kingdoms. And pay attention to how God's people respond when there's a threat. You might recognize, not yourself, but, you know, somebody that you know. Somebody that you know. Like how they respond. Um, and they respond in various ways. So um, so that's kind of the situation. And we'll talk a little more about the history and stuff. And we still have a few minutes, so we'll get into, we'll get into a little bit of the lesson. Um, okay, now, that's around Judah. Inside Judah, as you can imagine... There are various um, uh, lifestyles, um, degrees of devotion to God. They're, I mean, you know, they're not all homogenous. So some people uh, lived for getting ahead. You know, we're back in the land. 
Uh, yeah, we're kind of a small part, but hey, we got Jerusalem in our section, so those northern people, shoot, we're the south, and we got Jerusalem, it's the center, you know, so they were pretty cool, um, and they were just wanting to have a comfortable life, and, and um, pleasure, and, um, you know, living their best life now, self-fulfillment, they wanted, um, they wanted all these things, and sometimes it led them to take advantage of other people, and God's going to call them out on that. And then there were other people who cherished their religion. Now, I'm not saying they cherished their relationship with God. I'm saying they cherished their religion. And if you look um, in the very first chapter, God's going to say things like, those feast days of yours make me sick. I don't want any more of your stinking sacrifices. You just come into my tabernacle and you trample it. And we're saying, but God told them to bring those sacrifices. And God told them to celebrate those, those holy days, those feasts. And his point is that they're just doing it out, out of habit, out of maybe they think, well, you know, I can do this. And as long as I do that, the stuff I did last Tuesday, you know, God's not going to, you know. So they, were, so they were religious. They were not um, like the... The few, part C, only a few wholeheartedly loved God, served God, obeyed him, um, were grieved at what they saw around them. And so Isaiah is probably one of those. But he's, he's not the very only one. I mean, there were a few people that, that were sincerely godly people that followed God. And so the question that I have to ask myself is which category would I be? And which category would I like to be in as we study? Okay, let's look at our lesson. We'll start your homework. So that's um, page five with the two little charts. The bottom chart, um, I didn't say much about it, but <clears throat> it's showing that at the left it says the prophet's own time. So that's where like Isaiah's living, you know, he eats his breakfast, he, you know, he hears from God, he speaks, all this stuff. That's that's when he was living. And then some of the things that God told him to speak had to do with the captivity or the exile that was gonna come soon um, upon um, Judah. And some of the things had to do with their return afterwards. I'm going to take you into exile, but I'm not leaving you there. I've got a work to do in you. I want to have you over there. I'm going to do some things in you, and then I'm going to bring you back. And then, then you have like the intertestamental period, that, that time between the Old and New Testament, the 400 years of silence and all that stuff. So the next big event, as we said, was the coming of Christ. So Isaiah, clear back over here on the left, some of the message that God is going to give him refers to that time. And some of it refers, as we said, to his second coming and, and the millennial kingdom and new heaven, new earth. So, so we need to keep in mind that because God is capable of telling somebody something that's going to happen in the future, that he told Isaiah things that would happen long after Isaiah was dead and gone. Well, not gone, but 
<laughs> okay. And so, and so each lesson, if you look at these charts, they might change a little bit. And some of them will have, um, like they'll, like say if there's a certain chapter that has to do with the kingship of Hezekiah, which looks like it's right above 710, it'll have Hezekiah like circled or something. So it's so it's going to be a little a little clue. Um, how long do you think Isaiah served? Like if you were just guessing, looking at this chart, a long time. That's correct. Okay, next. If you could figure out how to how to cross a century mark in the BCs, about sixty years. Can you imagine? Now, if you've been teaching Sunday, I've only been leading precept for about 20 years, so I got another 40 years to go, I guess. But, you know, for 60 years, 60 years, look at your observation worksheet. That's the printed text that you're going to staple together. And, and uh, the very first verse, Isaiah 1.1 says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So right there, it's telling us that he was uh, sent to speak to the southern kingdom, which he saw. And now here's a time clue. So I marked it with a little clock in the margin. During the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So that's exactly what's shown on this chart, that he overlaps those, those kings. Okay, um, I'm going to skip the, the introduction just to get to the first question. So on page 6, it says, look at Isaiah 1.1. 1, 1. Well, we did that. And it says, um, okay, so what do you learn from that? What kind of information? If you just read the first verse, what would you know? If, if I just came in and said, read the first verse, and we didn't talk about anything else, what would you know uh, from reading the first verse? What would you know about the book of Isaiah? Okay, so he saw vision. Notice it doesn't say visions. I think that's really interesting. It's kind of like a whole, because for six, it's not like he sat out in on the porch for sixty years and this thing just keeps going and he's scribbling down notes as fast as he can and his wife's bringing him a sandwich every once in a while. It's from time to time because because it's during different kings' reigns and all that stuff. But it, but it's kind of like it's a whole. It's a vision. Okay. So what else would you know? What would you know about his family? Son of Amos. Well, we don't really. That's not Amos, the prophet. Yeah. Um, and who does he? Who? Who was this vision about? Who did he? Judah and particularly Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the capital, and not only is it the capital of Judah, but um, God said it's like the center. It's where I place my name. It's where the the temple was and all that. So. Um, so it's an important city, and sometimes he refers to, like we would say, well, the news out of Washington today is blah, 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 or, or well, Peking says, 
you know, they speak of the whole country or the situation by referring to a place. There's a name for that device. I can't remember what it is. So we'd say, well, Wall Street today took a dive. That means stocks fell. Doesn't mean the street named Wall Street sunk or anything. It's just a way of saying that whole area. Anyway, okay, Judah and Jerusalem, its capital. And he saw the, this vision. Uh, I just think that's interesting that it wasn't he heard the Lord speak. Now, there are times when it says, the Lord said to me, or I heard the Lord say, but but this says he saw visions. Um, and then it lists those kings. So that gives us some time clues about when. So we could be asking a who, what, when, where, why, how. And we may not have answers to all of them, but most of them we would. So that's question 1A. That's where you write down that stuff. Okay. So then uh, 1B is a little bit more, it's kind of, some of it might be repetitious, but who's writing and what do you learn about him? So you told me that it's Isaiah and that he's the son of Amos and that he's directed to speak to Judah and Jerusalem and then the time setting. <clears throat> and what's he writing? He's writing a vision, you said. Um, and and um, if you notice, like in verse 2 it says, for the Lord speaks. Verse 10, 11, 18, several times in the rest of the chapter, it's talking about God speaking, God speaking. This is what God said. God said this. <clears throat> and, um, okay, so, so you've got the answers to, to question B. And question C uh, talks about another piece of paper called Isaiah at a glance. That's page 215. Now, don't be overwhelmed by all these pieces of paper. <laughs> Page 215, it's called At a Glance Chart. And this is kind of like an outline chart that you can use, and you'll use it to look at, you know, like, oh, shoot, what chapter did he talk about the vine? And you look down there, oh, chapter 5. You know, what chapter did he talk about whatever? Because you're going to put your little succinct titles on there. But there's more. There's, um, it's going to ask us, to look at, on the top of page 7, look at Isaiah 6171, 14-28, and 36-1, and each one of those is going to refer to one of the kings. Like chapter 6, that's his vision, I saw the Lord, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. You know, that's probably maybe familiar. That's chapter 6, so you know when that happened. It was the year that King Uzziah died. And so most people think that that's actually when he began his ministry. The same year. Doesn't mean that after he died. I mean, Uzziah could have died in February, and he could have started his ministry in July or something like that. But it was right around that time. So um, he, he began to have these visions. And, and a verse or chapter 6 is about when God called him and said, you're going to be my spokesperson and all this stuff. So some people think the first five chapters are, like, why wouldn't that be chapter one when God called him? Well, maybe the first five chapters are telling us a little bit about how things were. And then chapter six is how God intervenes, what God does about this situation that his people are in. Then he 
chooses this person that's going to have an impact, that's going to serve him, that's going to act for him, that can make it, that can, can potentially make a difference in this situation. So some people think that's why. So you, you look at those four verses, and each one of them will talk about <coughs> one of the kings, when they began to reign, when they died, when, you know, something happened. So you're going to have some time clues, and then on that at-a-glance chart, if I can find mine, I usually, I usually make a bright yellow photocopy of that so I can find it easily. And that is something that you're going to move along each, each week to the next lesson because you're going to add to it. So over here, when it says King of Judah, this is the page 215 at a glance chart. You're gonna, this is going to be kind of like your summary of what you're learning. So in each, you're going to put your chapter themes. And I would say don't fill it in. It'll tell you in the lesson. Write it on the chart. But what I would suggest is that you, you jot it down at the top of your observation worksheet. There's a little blank line. See at the top of your observation worksheet where it says chapter theme? I would say jot your chapter theme there. And then when you come to class and somebody else has a brilliant, <laughs> shorter, mine usually get kind of long, somebody has like a three-word, just captures it succinct to the point, it captures it, you're like, that's mine. So, and, and that's what we're here for, is to encourage each other to learn. So I would say, you know, write yours down, do the best that you can on your observation worksheet, and then you have that. And then after we talk about it in class, maybe you'll want to change a word in yours or you'll want to, you know, uh, borrow somebody else's or something like that. But over here on the right where it says segment division, see it says kings of Judah. <coughs> so you can go down like to 6-1. You can say, hmm, looks like, looks like Uzziah was the king there. And you can go down to 7-1 and you look up that verse and I think it's Ahab or whatever. So, so that's just a little way of kind of keeping So this is like a little summary, and it's nice when you when you get along about to chapter twenty eight and you're like, oh, shoot, which chapter did they talk about? You know, whatever. You just skim it. Ah, chapter fifteen. There it is. Okay. <coughs> um. Okay. There's questions. So let's see if there's any other. Okay, so, so on the top of page 8. Victoria? Yes, ma'am. On the charts in there, there is one where you have, where they have different and different, and it's like King of Judah, and then right next to it is two blanks. So what do you, what do you mean? Um, where are we? On the oh, the two blanks? <coughs> well, they'll tell us ideas of things to use later. And you may, and you may, sometimes they'll say, hey, if you think there's a division. The big, I'll give you some more outline info, but the big division is the first how many chapters? 39 chapters and then 40 through, see, you might not have even known that when you came in, but now you know. The first, um, the first section is kind of a lot of bad news. It's kind of like God saying, guys, guys, guys. And then 40 through 66 is 
is comfort my people, you know, talking about what God wants to do, and, you know, once they're cleansed, what will happen, and I will open a fountain of cleansing for my people, and all this cool stuff, so, so, you know, just prepare yourself, the, the first, the first um, part of it is a lot about just what was going on, and, and it's not very pretty, okay, so yeah, if there's extra things like those, those extra columns there, um, I'm assuming they'll tell us at some point because they've got little lines in there, you see? Like like the first 12, they're going to tell us, oh, the first 12, now what have we covered in the first 12 chapters when we cover chapter 12? And then we're going to think about, okay, what was that all about? All right, and I'll give you a little more detailed outline too, but for right now we just know the first 39 are kind of like the bad news or what is the title? The word concerning, I've got my stuff covered up. What's the title say? The word, the word of the Holy One to Israel, the remnant, and the nations, and the promise of the child to be born. That's a pretty long title. But it's kind of like, okay, here's the, here's the diagnosis, and here's what I'm going to do about it. So God's, it's all about redemption. It's all about God. Um, having a plan and just loving us to death. There's a song, if you like um, kind of contemporary Christian music, Corin Wells, you know who Corin Wells is? Um, I was kind of disappointed to find out that he comes from, what's Joel Olstein's church called? But he's wonderful, Corin Wells is. And he has a song called He's Crazy About You, about how God just is crazy. He's crazy about you. And he is. Okay. Um, all right. So so finish the first lesson. That means you're going to venture into chapter 1 and chapter 2. Do as much as you can. If you don't get it all done, what are you still going to do?